Hi, I'm Anjali. I'm a PhD student at the Center for Education Studies at University of Warwick, and I'm being supervised by Emily and Ian at the Center for Education Studies. And my PhD is actually on the role of families in the gendered educational trajectories of young people accessing higher education in Haryana, which is a North Indian state. But this presentation is trying to look at how uh, access to higher education has been studied across the world and how it has conceptual how it is talked about and when we look at how access to higher education has been studied in india within a international context how they speak to each other and how can that dialogue be made easier yeah so this is the structure that i'll be following there might be a bit of jumping around in the beginning which i'll hopefully stitch together in the final sections on intersectionality and I'll start with talking about social class, gender and then race and ethnicities in the international context and in the Indian context and initially I'll be talking only of the specific dimensions whereas the intersectionality will bring out how the research itself is intersectional. <laughs> so well there are a lot of factors which are addressed when people look at how higher access to higher education has been experienced by students and how there are different kinds of barriers like social class, gender, race or ethnicity. But the question that I'm raising is that when we look at a particular context like India, can we compare it with like, the caste? Can it be compared to race in, it, in an international context? And can we understand gender? and the access, how it is gendered in the Indian context, how is it similar and different from an international context. So initially I'll start with social class background and mostly when people look, look at social class background as a barrier to accessing higher education, people talk about income in inequalities, financial capabilities, affordability and there are t inter interesting terms like social and cultural capitals and choices and how they are there are difference differentiated risks and choi choices that are uh, encountered when students try to access higher education and similarly in india financial capabilities is an important fact and interest also there's also growing interest in social and cultural capital and india is going towards a movement of massification so there is concern about uh, quality and affordability and merits these are kind of the class uh, the issues with researchers looking at social classes and barrier to higher education are looking at in india and there is a there's a lot of similarity in how it is being studied but it gets interesting in the later sections when intersectionalities come into the picture so for example uh, then moving on to gender so when we talk about gender and gendered access to higher education, it's initially uh, people talk about in terms of number, about male and female students, and what is the parity between them. But there's also growing concern about feminization and the presence of women in different departments and different positions across the universities. And here again, choices is an interesting area where people are looking uh, are looking at to understand how tra educational trajectories and access to higher education is gendered and 
another new thing recent development is how you know ideas of masculinity and sexuality comes into effect when we are talking about access to higher education internationally but when it comes to india the main uh, women have been increasingly present in the university spaces but there are similar concerns with regard to where the women are present what are the courses and what are the institutions that being <coughs> drawn towards or drawn away from and of course this also like these choices and educational trajectories are also linked with a colonial history and nationalistic narratives of what why women should be educated educated <coughs> what are their purpose of women's education so post coloniality becomes an important intersection here in gender which i would talk about more in the later section so when it comes to race and ethnicities it's generally interesting because it talks about a, a history of colonialism and post colonialism and ideas of uh, racial differences or similarities and eco you know empowerment but also there's also a rising increasing number of research on migrants and refugee communities in the global north and when it talks uh, when race and ethnicity is studied as a factor in accessing higher education in the global south is generally about marginalization within the th what i would call the global south countries or third world countries and there's also different choices for example uh, i find brazil is a very interesting study where they have affirmative action and quotas which is also again very similar to the indian situation where people students are reserved seats and of course brazil also has interesting impact of how in spite of these prop, uh, these social policies uh, students from lower economic backgrounds and marginalized ethnicities are graduating from lower status courses and institutions and of course when it going back when you talk about race in the global north people do talk about what are the universities and courses people from marginalized racial and ethnic communities are graduating from uh, so when we come to caste caste is a very particular indian context and there are a lot of politics to it caste is a form of social hierarchy which is ascribed by birth and it is linked with historical and contemporary social exclusion both economically and educationally and there have been studies which look at caste in terms of critical race theory but there is also a lot of contestation about how caste is similar and different from race and it's also also has a very post colonial or a colonial history of how caste has been developed as a concept in india and uh, so like in indian in the indian caste context we also again have a affirmative action policy which is exercised through reservations or quotas where a particular uh, number of seats in a, every course in every university is allocated to st students either from the marginalized caste communities or from the indigenous indigenous tribal communities so but there are there are also other acts to help uh, prevent incidents incidences of atrocities and discrimination but and there are debates about how effective or not they are and when it comes to access to higher education in terms of caste there are i would say there are three kinds following from what is it's like entry experience and outcome and when it there's a huge body of work now on experiences 
because it's also a, react, a political reaction from the marginalized communities and academicians from these communities to address issues of students' suicides and social discrimination and experiences both inside and outside classrooms. So that's a very difficult yet interesting thing to look at coming to the inter <laughs> intersectionalities. So there is a lot, I would say the intersectionality is there in spite of people may or may not use the word intersectionality in their studies because even something as simple as uh, Gail Berridge and Davis, when they're looking at cars, they're also saying that we cannot use umbrella terms. When they're looking at class, you cannot escape the racial or ethnic dimensions within class or gender. And some of the interesting studies I find one is one is in Mullins, and uh, this one, this one by Troia, uh, Troiano and uh, Aliens in Spain. They look at how uh, students who are from uh, immigrant communities, especially from the African continent, and women are self-selecting themselves away from more prestigious courses and institutions. At the same, at the other hand, you will have. Uh, which follows from what uh, Ray, David and all did there in their seminal work, at how students from working class communities and ethnic m or uh, marginalized communities are selecting themselves away from more prestigious or meritorious institutions and courses. On the other hand, we have studies by Burke who, who looks at immigrant students who are refugees and how these students are navigating heteronormative de demands and pressures and navigating a neoliberal higher education space in the global north. And these, they are looking at how gender comes into this perspective because what I found really interesting in work study was some of her participants were young men who have survived the violence in the Middle East and how they are uh, in negotiating gendered presence, uh, pressures to higher education and employment and how they understand the quality of education being provided in the UK. And in, uh, interacting with their mothers who are the surviving parental presence in their lives, which is very, very interesting. At the same time, it's intersectional. You cannot put it in one bracket. At the same time, it's there and everything. So in India, apart from gender, caste, and social class, there's also religion and uh, tribal or indigenous communities. But for the sake of comparison, I'm focusing on these three. And what is interesting is, for example, when we look at somebody like Ovechagin here, he looks at caste, but at the same time he comes to the conclusion that uh, when uh, when the, uh, under, uh, marginalized caste students, students from marginalized com caste communities are asked about discrimination and experiences of discrimination, there is a effect on the class background that they're coming from and how the class background that they come from allows or does not allow them to recognize discrimination because the idea of caste is I generally understood that caste should only be from the lower very lower class or working class background so, so when you are from a middle class but marginalized caste community identifying and uh, combating ca uh, caste based discrimination becomes a very different playground and it's interesting because he starts with looking at just caste but he himself gets drawn back into class. At the same time, you'll have people like uh, Gautam and Varma. The, uh, these two people are looking at issues of women and how women are ed making educational choices. 
but they too cannot hide from the fact that their educational choices are prefigured by the gendered and religious identities of their participants and their participants' families. And what is interesting is, for example, when we go back to the international perspective of how gender, for example, might be studied, and we look at how women are present or not present in different courses, and there's an observed inequality in terms of where the women are and where they are not, especially in the STEM disciplines or disciplines like philosophy, which has been historically dominated by men. And there's an idea of how, it is, how women are choosing different courses. But when it comes to India, there's a similar observation, but there is a nuance which is very different because there, uh, the, cons uh, the difference in participation is not just because of a gendered identity, uh, identification, gendered perception of the merit of a discipline or the F how they're going to use their discipline in their personal life. It's also largely if influenced by concerns of safety. And sorry, but safety is a concern which has historically been there for women. It's not just because of the latest Reuters report of India being one of the most dangerous countries for women, but it's a historical phenomenon. It's also related to the idea of how honor and respectability is embodied in the body, in female bodies. And the, I, it is a very, there, there is a strong post-colonial thread here which can help, help us understand that nuance because what happens is the idea of uh, the development of education for girls in India for example has roots in Zenana or Parda system which are basically cloistered women away from mainstream male society which also meant that they are excluded from so, uh, many social activities and educational opportunities. And the introduction of education in India itself allowed these cloistering practices to and continue. And so there is an, there's a silent kind of understanding that, yes, safety is an issue and we will navigate those safety issues. And those, the education of women, even now, and in post-colonial and nationalistic discourses, talk about educating women for being companionate wives for the modern Indian man or be mothers to the young men who will build the nation. So the idea of where women are being educated, for what purpose, and then the contestation between safety and the body of the women is, has a very po strong post-colonial element to it. And what, I, what I'm arguing is that, for example, there are similar observations internationally and in India, but a post-colonial additional lens would probably help us understand nuances better. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>